0: Hello, hello, welcome back to Loki's Librarian. I am your librarian, Katrina. If you are new here, welcome. This is where I'm reading through the enormous library books that you see behind me. And then I give you a quick synopsis and I tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like, and share my videos. and Let me know what you think in the comments. This book hit my library a few months ago after I started following Blair White's podcast, and I I knew who Michael Malice was, of course, being the famous Twitter troll that he is and wickedly hilarious on Twitter. On Blair's podcast, uh, she had asked him what book he wrote that was his favorite or he was most proud of, something like that, and he said it was this week's book of the week, Dear Reader, The Unauthorized Autobiography of Kim Jong-Il, as dictated to by Michael Malice. and the accompanying cocktail is called Jin and Juche uh the oh gosh, the Sujianghua cocktail I probably mispronounced all of that. The gin and juche is one dried persimmon, one part cinnamon ginger, simple syrup, and three parts of gin, which is better than the other gin and juche cocktail I found, which was simple syrup, gin, juice, and the blood of North Koreans. I I thought that last ingredient might be a little hard to come by. So I went with this version of it. It Just seemed like a better fit. So let's do this real quick. The persimmon is supposed to be a whole freeze dried persimmon. You're supposed to cut it and it basically looks like a flower. Could not find whole freeze dried persimmons. I found persimmon slices closest I could come to. So I'm just going to use one of those. I've never had persimmon. Interesting. I should try it someday. Um, 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 okay, so Kim Jong-il was born on February 16th, 1942 at the base of Mount Paktu, Korea. He remembers it perfectly, the day he was born, because of course he does. We all remember our day we were born. Not just the day we were born, but our actual birth. He remembers his actual birth, because he is way better than the rest of us. I am aware that this is a mild slap in the face, because I'm using Japanese gin don't think I could find Korean gin, so we went with the Japanese, and the North Koreans despised Japan, and not without cause, all right? I need you to understand something. Japan was absolutely abominable during World War II. I mean, the entire world sucked during World War II. I mean, we can't exactly point fingers at them when we were, you know, throwing our own citizens in concentration camps and, you know, dropping atomic bombs on them, but, you know, Japan was enslaving the Koreans and turning their women into comfort women which means sex slaves so I'm not saying that North Korea or Korea in general doesn't have legitimate gripes against Japan I'm saying this was probably the best gin for the cocktail so here we go it's pretty easy though I mean three ingredients that's pretty solid right the simple syrup I had to make myself they don't sell ginger cinnamon simple syrup I'll include the recipe for how to make that So, he remembers his birthday, his date of birth perfectly. He was also, like, walking and talking well ahead of the bell curve. I I feel like I read that, actually, on Wikipedia, not in the book, because there were some things I needed to Google just for my own gratification. We'll get to that. Uh, His father, of course, was the great lyric Kim Il-sung, and his mother was anti-Japanese war heroine Kim Jong-suk. Note, whenever his mother is mentioned in this book, it is always as anti-Japanese war heroine Kim Jong-suk. The weather patterns were completely unique on the day he was born, and while it snowed, as one might expect, in Korea in February, the snowflakes danced and the morning sun shone through. Because he was very special from the moment he was born. I have to shake this. Good lord, that gets cold. Not too long after he was born, uh, Korea won the war against Japan. Just Korea. America had no part in ending that war. Although... He does point out that america is definitely the only country to ever use atomic weapons there is never any mention as to who they use those weapons against just that america is the only one that ever used atomic weapons because korea korea alone won the war against japan that is very important that's very full i i feel like i got half coupe glasses and not full coupe glasses that's okay it's it's fine korea won the war against japan thanks to the brilliant leadership of kim il-suk and kim jong-il Set out to become the most perfect son Korea had ever known, one who would not only embrace the idea of Juche, but become the absolute embodiment of the concept. What is Juche? This is very important to understand because this is kind of the embodying philosophy of the entire country. It's the philosophy that proves all other philosophies wrong, so much so that at the end of the book, and this is hilarious, he includes a list of Kim Jong-il's official enemies list, which includes Ryan Holiday, who is a pretty well-known philosopher. He's brought the Stoics back to life for the, you know, 21st century. Doesn't like, I guess, Ryan Holiday can never go to North Korea. Just safety tip for you, Ryan. If you ever watch this, ever hear this, I know you've talked to Michael Malice. Don't go to North Korea. You're a public enemy there. I really wanted to dislike this one because Kim Jong-il is such a, you know, psychopath, but hot damn, that's good. Oh, man. That is really good. So, Juche is a belief that a country will prosper once it achieves self-reliance in the realms of political, economic, and military independence. All through socialism. Because the country needs to be self-reliant. The people in the country need to be reliant on the government. Of course. Because capitalism would never encourage self-reliance. Like, ever. And This book regales us with the tale of young Kim Jong-il's coming of age, his school days, how he grew up in the Communist Party of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, the PRK, and the contributions he made to encourage its greatness and growth. And it's told straight. And there's no tongue in cheek, no sense in any way that this is ever a joke. This is very much Kim Jong-il's story as it is told in the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Which should be really alarming to people. Because here, here's, some, here's some of the things that are told in the book. So let's go through this. Once he was born at the base of Mount Paktu, and after his younger sister was born, his mother, anti-Japanese heroine Kim Jong-Suk, died. No mention of what she died of, just that she died. And at that point, Kim Jong-Il told his sister, Kim Ki- Kyung-Hui, I'm really sorry if I'm mispronouncing these names. I really am. That he would be her mother. This is literally the only mention of any of his siblings until like the last chapter of the book when he again mentioned Kim hyong wei um, Around the time of Kim Il-sung's death is, is when it occurred to me to Google whether or not there were other Kim children. Or four of other Kim children. One full brother who died quite young. I, uh, Kim Jong-il is the oldest, but his, his, second, or his uh, second-born brother died quite young. He was like four. And then three half-siblings with Kim Jong-il's stepmother, assuming she married the great leader. I have no idea. It's never mentioned anywhere in the book and beyond, you know, Googling were there other Kim children. I just didn't, I, I didn't look to see if he actually married the second wife. So Kim Jong-il was an absolute paragon. I, I mean, seriously, people talk about Ray Skywalker being a, a Mary Sue. Kim Jong-il is a Mary Sue. You, you should seriously, like if you Google Mary Sue, you might find a picture of Kim Jong-il. He was perfect at everything he ever did. Ever. There's exactly one time that he actually disappointed his father, and I'll get to that story in a little bit. Um, So in addition to, you know, walking and talking at three months old and remembering his entire life from birth to death with perfect clarity, Kim Jong-il was the most brilliant child the schools in Korea had ever seen. Always raising questions the teachers couldn't answer and having them find the answers to keep up with his clever mind. It was in grade school that he introduced the idea of corrections, having your classmates tell you what was wrong with you, for your own good, of course. This idea has quite happily leapt across the pond to come to rest in social media outlets. That would be what cancellation is all about, is telling you what you're doing wrong and why you're wrong. (laughs) So, yeah, Juche is is alive and well. It's not just in Korea. It's working its way over here on multiple levels, which is really horrifying. So corrections, you know, tell the time it for it's for your own good. Of course, naturally, they would never do it to try and you know gain control over you or anything like that. And Kim Jong Il provides examples of how he helped his classmates to realize Juche was best, including charming anecdotes about improving vandalism, uh, but not against public buildings, you know, but. Of course, all buildings in Korea are public buildings. As part of his coming-of-age story, Kim Jong-il had to navigate and assist the country and the great leader in navigating the triple threats of flunkyism, dogmatism, and factionalism. So flunkyism was, quote, the tendency of a developing country to worship more powerful countries. In Korea, that might mean worshiping Russia or China as more powerful and wanting to follow in their footsteps. End quote. Now, no disrespect to China or Russia, but Korea could do better with less, and did. And did. The corrections Kim Jong-il recommended quickly became national policy because how can you improve if your friends don't tell you you're wrong? And everything he suggested was always adopted because he was the best. I mean, I I feel like there was a severe um, disconnect in reality and most likely his ideas weren't the best, is that nobody wanted to naysay the great leader's son because he was the great leader's son. I feel like there was a lot wrong. Uh, Dogmatism is, quote, an inflexible way of thinking where one imitates others blindly without considering concrete conditions and situations. I I would actually buy that particular example of it. In the chapter of Dogmatism, he talks about how he recommended every Korean should read 10,000 pages a year to his college professors, who were awestruck by this idea, seemed to think this was an audacious and bold plan. I mean, that's less than 30 pages a day. I mean, you consider all I read over the last year, and I am... I'm going to pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. Although to be fair, and perfectly fair, seriously, 30 pages a day is more reading than the average American does. I mean, most Americans don't read once they graduate high school and or college. You know, right? they, they finish their education and they basically stop reading at that point. On the other hand, if you're only allowed to read state-sponsored educational material, are you really broadening your horizons or learning anything new? Just a thought. I already conned the husband into doing the grocery shopping this week, so I can actually drink this whole cocktail. I'm not driving anywhere today. Factionalism is pre- preaching the quote preaching the wrong ideas for their own sake. They were opposed to the prime minister on principle, the principle of opposition simply for the sake of opposition. End quote. Disagreeing with the great leader is wrong. This chapter is where we learn that humanity originated in Korea over one million years ago, as proven definitively when the archaeologists in the DPRK found the proof by digging where Kim Jong-il told them to dig, based on the principles of Juche. Self-reliance will teach you historical truth, I guess. So he talks about such historically significant incidents as the USS Pueblo, the poplar tree incident, the 1988 Seoul Olympics, and the bombing of South Korean flight Korean Air 858 on November 29th, 1987. Now understand, all of these incidents 100% occurred, all right? None of these are made up, these all happened. Um, but what they are taught in North Korea is very different from what we are taught in the rest of the world. Like, literally the entire rest of the world is taught something different. We are taught that the USS Pueblo was an environmental survey ship that was held hostage by North Korea for about three months. North Korea is taught that this was a U.S. spy ship they captured engaged in espionage in Korean waters. Uh, I will grant that I am probably biased on this one uh, in my belief that this was probably just an environmental survey ship and no spying was actually done. And I'm basing that off of my knowledge of U.S. history and, you know, an absolute loathing for Kim uh, Mm Jong-il. And also the fact that Kim Jong-il had an absolute loathing for Americans. I mean, we're the great evil in his story. And America is by no means innocent. We have certainly done our share of shitty things, but also allegedly, and this is in the book, the 80 or so captured sailors requested to engage in gay sex because that was the American way. Now, we're not gay, not that there's anything wrong with that. The Pueblo incident occurred in 1968. In 1968, gay sex was still illegal in the United States. Full stop. All right. That was illegal. They might maybe have had a single gay sailor. If they did, that guy was so deep in the closet because he would not have advertised that fact at the risk of losing his job or possibly being jailed in America. So I find it extremely unlikely the entire crew was gay, despite what Kim Jong-il was saying and despite what the village people advertised. So the poplar tree incident was a bit sadder. This occurred in 1976 when two U.S. military personnel entered the joint security area of the demilitarized zone to cut down a poplar tree. The North Koreans, as reported by Kim Jong-il, there were 40 Americans to about four Koreans. But because the Koreans know Taekwondo, they were easily able to disarm the 40 Americans and cut down two of them with their own axes. Um, that, seriously, that, I mean, as ridiculous as that sounds, seriously, two U.S. servicemen died: Captain Arthur Boniface and First Lieutenant Mark Barrett. That was not in the book. That is something else I googled because I, you know, wanted to check some of these incidents, make sure they actually happened. They did. This, according to Kim Jong Il, is the only time that he ever disappointed his father because, you know, the great leader Kim Il Sung, excuse me, he saw this as a American tactic to get America to get the world on America's side. Um, he managed to work his way back into his father's good graces, though. I mean, that's, you know, good news, right? He, he was eventually, of course, named the successor. Now, the one incident where I completely lost it and started laughing so hard I cried was the recounting of the Korean Air Flight 858 terrorist bombing, which has been definitively linked to North Korea, specifically due to the confession of captured bomber Kim Hyun-hui, who reported everything to South Korea following her own capture, which including her training, and that she and her partner, who managed to successfully kill themselves via cyanide capsule post-capture, were impersonating Japanese travelers. Now, hyun was eventually pardoned based on her being brainwashed. Uh, more on that in just a minute. What made me laugh so hard was after Kim Jong-il's very sarcastic retelling of Hyun-Wee's training and mission, he reports, quote, I can offer absolute proof that the American story behind Korean Air Flight 858 isn't true. The proof is as follows. I would never have to send a Korean abroad to impersonate a Japanese person since I'd been kidnapping and training actual Japanese women for that purpose for many years. End quote. And that bold announcement was a surprising laugh out loud moment in the book. So, a little bit more on cults. Remember a few weeks ago I read the book on cults? The, the, you know, don't call it, no. Don't call it a cult was the Nexium thing, which is also actually highly relevant. But of uh, the the cults inside and out by Rick Allen Ross. The the Nexium one comes in because all of these tales. I was about thirty pages into the book when I realized that I am reading the autobiography of a cult leader, because his you know the the. Surprising weather patterns on the day of his birth, the perfect recall of his birth, his walking and talking so very young, his absolutely charmed life where he was the most brilliant, most smartest young boy anybody had ever seen, and all of his ideas were instantly adopted as national policy. All of these things smack of that cult leader mentality where he's been raised to a level of like godhood in his own country, or at least in his own mind, and that people don't dare say otherwise. What makes me so sure? Well, remember, like I said, two weeks ago, I read that Cult's Inside and Out by Rick Allen Ross. What are some of the things that define a construct, a, a, a constructive, a destructive cult? There were three characteristics that are, are pretty distinctive to destructive cults. So a destructive cult, first off, a destructive cult is going to have a charismatic leader, someone who becomes an object of worship and kind of a, the, the founding ideals of the group lose their power, ceding position to this charismatic leader. I mean, basically it all becomes about the head honcho, not about what they wanted. Not about the cult's principles, it becomes about the guy in power. Step uh, part two, a destructive cult is going to include coercive persuasion or thought reform, which is better known as brainwashing, right? Everybody's familiar with the concept of brainwashing. Everybody thinks everybody else is brainwashed, but not them. And three, a destructive cult is going to use economic, sexual, or other exploitation of group members by the leader and ruling coterie. So, we are looking at a cult situation with a following of millions. I mean, Jim Jones would be so envious, right? Which also explains why Hyun-Wee was pardoned. She was undoubtedly brainwashed. Um, and it was hilarious because he makes a joke about how, oh, brainwashing isn't really a thing, but then immediately says, well, we were training Japanese, you know, we were brainwashing Japanese women to do exactly this. So Koreans, I guess, are too strong-minded to ever be brainwashed, but, you know, Japanese women are weak and can be easily brainwashed. Now, again, not to be mistaken, there are absolute missteps in the West as well. South Korea specifically screwed up when, in 1989, North Korea held a youth athletic conference, and the one competitor from South Korea who competed was arrested and jailed for five years immediately on returning from North Korea. I I think the distinction is she had violated South Korean law by traveling to North Korea in the first place and was jailed for it, which... And that certainly seems unjust, given that a bomber responsible for 115 deaths was allowed to go free. He has a valid point on that one. So, I mean, again, this isn't to say that the West isn't any metric perfect. We certainly have our share of historical screw-ups. Throughout the book, Americans are painted as the great evil enemy of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. So, I mean, we got that going for us. The very last chapter of the book, he talks about his three sons. Because they're that important to his life, his eldest is actually not Kim Jong Un. No, oh, yeah, my shirt. I bought this specifically for this review. Live, laugh, love, Kim Jong Un. He's very famous for that quote. Very important. It's a very important quote. Means a lot philosophically. Kim Jong Nam was his oldest. He was bypassed for inheriting based on his Western sympathies. He was way too sympathetic for the West. From Google searches, he was assassinated in 2017. His second-born son, Kim Jong-chol, was bypassed for being too effeminate. And so his third son, Kim Jong-un, is the one who inherited the supreme leadership of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. No mention of what Kim Jong-il's three daughters inherited. I mean, yeah, he has three daughters. He doesn't even mention them. But it was like the last four pages of the book, and I'm not even joking, read the entire thing, and I knew that a lot of it was obviously farcical and ridiculous, but I also knew that this is exactly what they are taught in North Korea. But the last four pages really drive home just what a power-hungry madman he is and just how different North Koreans are taught and that that it is significantly different from what the rest of the world is taught. Um, The last four pages, stenographer Michael Malice brilliantly sums up his storytelling and has just driven home brutally and in the last four pages Kim Jong-il reports on what exactly happens in the re-education camps in North Korea and is bad it is bad he reports why it doesn't matter and how he can prove that it doesn't matter and he lists a long litany of American power players who cared about such atrocities occurring everywhere else anywhere else but in North Korea. It was such a brutal slap in the face that my husband came down to help feed our menagerie right when I finished reading and he saw me crying. And being the good husband that he is, he asked if I was okay. And I said point blank, this book was brilliant. It was so brilliant. And the last four pages were just a brutal slap in the face of any American who pretends to care about civil rights. And it's all just pretend, right? And we truly know nothing. The information is out there and no one does anything to help. But as Kim Jong-il himself points out, revolution starts from within and the DPRK citizens are taught very early not to rebel or their families will suffer the consequences. They, they do a three-generational thing. So if, say, my family lived in North Korea, don't recommend, and my nieces decided that they wanted to spearhead a rebellion against the Korean leadership. My nieces, even if only one of them did it, all four of my nieces would be executed. Any children they had would be executed. My sister, my parents, probably me, my sister, my other sister, her husband, her son, they would wipe out the entire family as punishment for having dared to rebel. So... That might also be part of why American can't really do anything about Korea because the country is run by a madman. I don't at all put it past him to... If we were... If we were to attempt to invade Korea, and it looked like we were winning, I do not put it past him to instruct every single one of the Korean citizens to kill themselves. And he's been telling them for decades at this point that Americans will savagely rape the women, willfully spread HIV, um, that, you know, we, we kill babies and eat them for breakfast. These are things that, that, that the Korean people have been taught for generations about Americans. So if we invaded and if we started to win, I don't doubt that every single one of them would kill themselves because brainwashing is a real thing. And, uh, Jim Jones would be so proud. So very proud. That's it for this week. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And I will see you guys later. Next week we are on to the next president, Rutherford B. Hayes. Super excited. (laughs) We'll see you later. Bye.